Welcome everyone to the Credible Nerds Podcast. My name is Justin, and I'm here with my fellow Mandalorians, my fellow bounty hunters. We got uh, Nathan here in the house with us. How's it going, everybody? And we got Blake. He's back to talk more Mando. Hey, everyone. And today we're going to be talking about Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1, which is actually Chapter 9 in the series. They're not starting over with the numerations. They're just going through. So last season was eight episodes. And so the first episode of this season is Chapter 9 called Marshall. And it is a pretty cool episode. I rewatched it recently and I found myself really into it. Um, sometimes we get these filler episodes in, in seasons, but this was definitely not one of those. So for you guys, what do you think you like your initial, um, um, like what your initial thoughts about this episode and kind of what came to mind as you started going and getting back into the Mando world for, what do you think Blake, as far as how it went for you? Yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was pretty cool because I mean, obviously, uh, Star Wars is is considered kind of a space western, and uh, this really was, uh, you know, like a traditional western in a lot of ways. And so, you know, it kind of had that old old town, the saloon, the the marshal, and and all of those things. And so, I, I I thought it was pretty cool that they took it down to that really basic western level. Um, pretty fun to watch. Yeah. Okay. What about for you, Nathan? Yeah, I really liked it overall. And, uh, you know, the opening scene was a real, uh, you know, attention grabber for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that I knew this episode was going to be good just from the get-go, the way it started out. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was great. I yeah. loved it. What a great opening, right? It was. Walks into some underground. I don't know how much underground it was, but it was in the dark. No one... You had to get uh, permission to get in, and yep. you see these Gamorrean guards fighting with some vibro axes. That was a pretty cool setup for, you know, you got this tension, you know, who is this guy that he's supposed to be meeting? It's this kind of this uh, seedy place that he's going to. And Yeah. So last episode, uh, Chapter 8, he's tasked with finding the people of Baby Yoda, you know, return him to his people, which are the Jedi. And so he's trying to find some Mandalorians because maybe they know because they used to be enemies, the Jedi and the Mandalorians. So he's like, well, find some Mandalorians and see what they know because I don't know anything. And supposedly this guy that he's meeting with, uh, Gore Koresh, is, uh, has that information and is privy to where some Mandalorians are. What, uh, I think they call them coverts, the, the little groups they have. Yep, coverts. Yeah, so he's looking for some information on where another covert is and he goes to this guy. And you guys brought it up earlier before we started that this guy was voiced by who, Blake? John Leguizamo. <laughs> John Leguizamo. I think I nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I kind of knew the voice. Like you, you kind of know it's, oh, it's, it's somebody because they're really good. But he, it's not his usual uh, voice that he uses when he acts, at least for me, that I remember. So that was kind of a cool Easter egg that we got to see him. Yeah. He, it was changed each either I'm, I'm sure he changed it himself a little bit but it was mm-hmm. not immediately noticeable but once you know yeah it's like oh yeah that's yeah. him yeah. and uh yeah great scene great opening scene i loved you know when um when he when he gives him the ultimatum and uh and mando's like uh i'll give you an you know, <laughs> ultimatum right back yeah. I, I love how uh, baby yoda you know as soon as he sees his arm flex and uh 
you know, he closes the carriage and backs out yeah. and, uh, you know, and hides because he knows what's about to go down, which kind of tells me, you know, there's probably been some experiences that happened between the two episodes. You know, they must have probably had some, you know, small adventures and now they're kind of like, you know, maybe he's seen this go down in the, you know, yeah. and he knows that, that he, uh, what's about to happen. And, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Cause I think the only time we see him use the, the whistling birds is when he goes in to rescue baby Yoda. Did, did he have them at that point? Yeah. Okay. He had just grabbed him and was trying to, yeah. So he'd seen it before, but I, I, same as you, I get the impression that this isn't just like the next day after yeah. chapter eight. This is a journey, and it's been a couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah, that's that's kind of the idea that I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So pretty cool. And then he um, was able to fight off all the guards that are trying to capture him and his. They wanted his Beskar armor, right? Because it's increased in value since the the Empire's fallen, and it's even more rare. And so they're trying to get that, and they double cross him, don't give him the information at first, and he has to fight them off and kill most of them. And then he captures Gore and strings him up by his feet and gets the information from him. What do you what do you think about that part, Blake, where he gets the information and he's like, All right, we'll see ya. Yeah, it's uh well and I remember the the very first episode and how they kind of try to portray that um the Mandalorian was pretty brutal, right? Yeah. And then he softened up over the over the first season and so it was kind of a glimpse back into uh how brutal he can be, right? Uh, it really went, uh, it got out of hand quick. And uh, yeah, as he just kind of walked away, you could kind of tell. He he said, well, I'll, you know, I promise you won't die by my hand. And if somebody ever says, I promise you won't die from my hand, I'm going to say, you know, let's, uh, let's clarify, clarify on that <laughs> yeah. before uh, I give you the information here. Yeah. But yeah. So. But that was great. I, so obviously the place that they were, you know, when he arrives, you, there's no one's walking the streets, right? Mm-hmm. It's dark. He strings them up. He shoots the light out. And then all of a sudden you see those red eyes come out in the dark. So obviously this is a place where at, when after the sun goes down, everyone's indoors and no one comes yeah, out. And dangerous. he knows that, yeah. yeah. But it was a great scene. I really enjoyed it. And um, I really enjoyed uh it's interesting because as we will watch the episode, as we continue to talk about the episode, um, as you mentioned, Blake, you see this ruthlessness, and uh, you know that's kind of what we were all—that's what we all enjoy, right? Watching the Mando do his thing. Yeah. But it, did he mention that this is obviously, or maybe it's not so obvious, but has? Is this the first Mandalorian that they've lured in? And and because it, it sounds like he's been done this before. That's the impression I got. And that he may have been able to obtain some of that Beskar type armor mm-hmm. uh, and uh, been able to make a profit off of it. Yeah. So um, obviously he's dealing with Mandalorians and he's been able to do that. So this is so. Does that mean you no know, Mando's just on another level and um, been able to take out all his protectors as guards versus the ones that have come up in the past mm-hmm. i don't know yeah i think that would be my guess because they don't explicitly state that but i did get that impression that this isn't the first time that they're doing this yeah because you know, they have it all planned out they know what to do everybody's in on it and they they think they're gonna win but he overpowers them like you said so yeah. 
Uh, but he does have the information at the same time. You know, he knows there's a Mandalorian on Tatooine in Mos Pelga. Right. So, um, yeah, that's interesting too that he, well, you know, how did he get that information? Where's he? Yeah. Get that. So, so is he hunting Mandalorians? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is getting information on where any of them are at so he can try to get their armor. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's the opening. Um, and again, like you guys said, it, uh, shows this ruthlessness, this ability to just turn it on and, you know, take people out if he needs to. And I think that kind of got lost in the last few episodes of the first season because, you know, maybe Yoda's there and he's like this nice guy and he cares for his friends. And so it, it kind of didn't really manifest itself that much. But here we are front and center again. You know, here he is. He's back. He's the, the man with no name type thing. Yep. So I really liked this re- introduction to him yeah i loved it yeah so he heads off to tatooine again (laughs) the funny thing about tatooine you know the first time we ever saw tatooine was uh, episode four a new hope and luke skywalker makes the comment to 3po i think you know if you're this planet is the farthest thing from anything that's happening right it's the what's the phrase i don't know if you guys remember there's a bright center to the universe. This is the planet that it's farthest from. Yeah, there you so go. Like no one, nothing ever happens on Tatooine. Right. But yet, you know, through the movies, through this show, they keep going back to Tatooine. That's yeah. where all this stuff's going on. So. Seems to be a, the main place where everything yeah, happens. Yeah, everything right. goes through Tatooine, which is <laughs> kind of funny. But yeah, he heads back. He meets up with uh, Peli Moto, the the woman mechanic from previous season that we were introduced to, because she knows where everything is. Apparently, <laughs> she's got the info. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the reintroduction of Pelimoto, Blake? Did you like that? Oh yeah, I mean she, you know, she's she's just cool and and she's kind of a crazy lady and <laughs> and uh, you know her getting back with uh, uh, Grogu and everything that that was cool. It was fun to see them get back together and and fun to see you know just the way she interacts with uh, Mandalorian. It's it's just kind of. And the droids and everything. It's just fun to watch the banter between the two of them. She's fun. Yeah. Yeah, she's got that crazy hair, too. She does. <laughs> I, keep, I keep thinking it's Rhea Perlman, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. From Cheers yeah. or something. Yeah. But, she's got that look. Yeah. Give that lady a comb or something. <laughs> Some hairspray. Um, but, yeah, I like her, too. She's funny, like you said. Um, this time, uh, Mando lets the droids work on a ship. You know, yeah. The pit droids that we saw in episode one. And they were kind of the, one of the comedic elements of that movie, and they kind of have the same role here. Yeah, which is pretty consistent. Love it, love it or hate it, it's consistent with the, the movie. So, um, then we also see R five. That was a good Easter egg there. Yeah, and you know a lot of I was I'm glad you mentioned it because there was a lot of Easter eggs or at least references in this episode. And, and as I've mentioned in past episodes, um, th- those are the things I love. Right, mm-hmm. references to original or past trilogies tv shows um tying the universe together amongst the different uh, uh episodes is something that uh you know I, I always think is fun and great to see mm-hmm. and uh and r5 he didn't look so uh like like he didn't look all spit and polished right, right. i mean it, it looked like he has <laughs> been you know yeah. right right where he'd been or right where he's always been he was yeah. pretty dirty yeah um I don't even know. Was there a restraining bowl on, on him? I, yeah, I could you look. even see? Yeah, but yeah. It looked it looked like the the panel where the bad motivator was was still missing from yeah. when it popped off. Earlier. Yeah, that's right. So 
That's cool. Great reference. Love to see R5. I love, I hope, I hope we see R5 more. I think we will. I would like to see R5 uh, show up in more episodes and, and maybe get off the Tatooine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we, I think you'll get that wish according to the season three trailer. Oh yeah. But, uh, that'd be, that would be cool. He, he's fulfilling his purpose. You know, he's getting a second chance to be involved with the galaxy. So that's cool. Um, so he finds out where Mos Pelga is, you know, along with the rest of us, the audience. We don't know where that is. Um, there is, I looked it up uh, earlier on Wikipedia, you know, the Star Wars wiki. And Mos Pelga was introduced in a series of books called the Aftermath Trilogy, which was, which was one of the first books that were written and published after uh, um, The Force Awakens came out. So it's a recent introduction to the the overall story. Um, Cobb Vanth is also introduced in that story, has a role similar. We get Cobb Vanth's backstory. Uh, He kind of narrates how he got the armor and stuff. And so that's pretty similar to the story, but somewhat different as well. So that was interesting that they brought that in that way. So... Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I would have assumed everything that we saw in this episode was original yeah. and new canon. Mm-hmm. But so that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, I like it when the the books, the comics, video games are consistent with the movies and the the TV shows. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it's always nice that it yeah. matches right. up somewhat at least. But uh, uh, Pelimoto tells Mando where Mas Pelga is. Is it Pelgo or Pelga? Pel- I think it's Pelgo. Pelgo. Yeah. yeah. So it tells them where it is. And it's like, you know, on the map we see, okay, here's Moss Eisley. Here's Moss Espa, the one we saw in episode one. And then Moss Pelgo is like, whew, way far away. So he has to get on his speeder bike and with uh, Baby Yoda and they head off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah. And we kind of see him driving along. He meets up with the Tuscan Raiders, camps out with them, keeps going. Um, you know, Tatooine's a big place. What do you, what do we think about Mando being able to speak with the Tusken Raiders? Mm-hmm. That's that's a kind of a new thing, and and what we learn about you know the Tusken Raiders or the Sand People, which you know I think up until these episodes or the Mandalorian episodes, the assumption was is they were pretty brutal and mm-hmm. no one had any dealings with them whatsoever. Yeah. So what do you guys think of that this new um, image that they're portraying of the Tusken Raiders? Yeah, I mean, it, it. like you say, it was a little different. They were pretty uh, one-dimensional, I guess, before before this. And so uh, to see them kind of interact and to see that they, you know, would kind of create alliances and work with other people, that was that was new. It was new. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, I like I like it because it expands their characters. You know, they're not just the, the nuisances in the desert. And obviously they're setting up future stories as we see in Boba Fett. Yep. Um, giving them some, some, you know, more dimensions, I guess you could say, which is great. I mean, are we going to see Jawas next? <laughs> are we going to start seeing their, their stuff? And yeah, which would be interesting. Um, I, I like it. So, uh, as far as them speaking sign language, sign language, I thought that was great because yeah. we have only heard them bray like donkeys. Right. And how can you understand that? But right. the sign language I thought was genius to kind of include that. Yeah. So I'm liking it. As far as we know, they only exist on Tatooine, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. yeah. I don't think we've seen them anywhere else, unlike the Jawas who we have. Yeah. But um, 
thought it was a good, uh, and obviously in this story, they, they play a big role, so that's good. Uh, so then they, he makes it to Mas Pelgo, and I thought this scene was great. Like you said earlier, Blake, this is throwback to the old Westerns. Um, he's riding into town, basically, instead of a horse, it's a speeder bike. He, everybody's looking at him, who's this guy? He dismounts, goes into the cantina, and you know, talks to the bartender and all that. It's, uh, great imagery, great uh, way to have some nostalgia there of not only like episode four, the first Star Wars, but even further back with all the Westerns. Um, and I think that's one thing this series does really well, at least in these first two seasons, is this Western vibe that we get. Um, a lot of people like it. My father-in-law, he's a Western guy, and we introduced him to this show, and he's he's loving it because it's got that Western feel. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's that's John Wayne right there, you know? Yeah. All that stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's a, ingenious. No, it's, it is. It's super cool. And it, it's funny, you know, you never... In a Western, you never go into a town and have two or three days before there's trouble. It's <laughs> yeah. like the very first uh, saloon you walk into, yeah. and uh, there's already a shootout. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, cool. And that whole interaction between uh, Mando and uh, Cobb Vanth, the sheriff, uh, was interesting because we saw kind of a, a showdown take place, and then it gets interrupted, mm-hmm. which I don't know. What did you guys think about that? Because I it, thought to myself... We we see kind of two sides of of uh, Mando Dinjarin. We see the ruthless side, but then we, sometimes we see him negotiate deals that you think, well, why would he do that? I mean, he could probably obviously just take that armor, right? Yeah, just yeah. kill him and take it and leave town. Yeah. Say, oh, that dragon's your problem. Yeah. So why why do you think sometimes he we see you know different sides of him and and, and you know these these kind of interactions with him. What, what do you think is going on in his brain, or what is what is he seeing that that is where he's able to be like, you know, what? yeah, I'll help you out, versus you know the opening scene where he's just like, hey, I want this information, I'm going to get it with, uh, and I'm going to get it the way I want to get it. <laughs> right. Well, <clears throat> you bring up a really good point because there is a two sides of the coin that we're seeing, and I think at first he would have been like if. If season one would have been, he goes, he doesn't meet Baby Yoda. There's not that whole thing. I think he would have stayed on that path of being the ruthless mercenary. He's just out for bounties to get money, help his people out. But with the introduction of Baby Yoda, that brings out a soft side to him, like a a paternal side. Because it reminds him of when he was a foundling, people took him in, took care of him, helped him out. And so with the introduction of Baby Yoda, that reminds him of that. that you know, it's good to care about people. It's good to help them out. Yeah. And so yeah. that's, he's learning that, how to fit that into his mercenary ways is kind of what I'm gathering. And so this episode, he's like, he, I think at first he was, they're just going to shoot it out and he's going to take it. But then he's open to new ideas at this point from here on forward. Yeah. Well, and I kind of wonder as I watch these because... Some of the episodes are really good and really well thought out, and some are a little bit imbalanced. Still good, but the balance isn't you know quite right, and mm-hmm. pacing's not quite maybe right. And I wondered that on this one because right there it's like, all right, we're not even talking. We're going to shoot it out <laughs> right here, and uh, um, and then you know kind of they have the episode or the the situation with the dragon, and and then all of a sudden they're kind of striking a deal. And so, you know, you bring up a, a good question. I, I felt like, man, is this just kind of imbalanced? And it's like, 
they're trying to get to the next story point and it, it just is kind of rushed a little bit or is it that two sides of the coin like you say kind of that internal like well this is how i've been but now i'm kind of softening up and i'm got a soft spot for helping people and uh i, I don't know you know yeah yeah because i'm like he could have been like uh that that crate dragon's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just give me the armor and I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. But obviously he, he, he sees him. I believe the, the owner of the cantina mentioned him that he was the sheriff. So he obviously was like, look, if we're going to duel it out, we'll do it all. We'll duel it out. But at the end of the day, he, if he's acting as the sheriff, he probably thinks he's a good upstanding guy yeah. and uh, wants to help him, wants to help him out or help people out when he can. Mm-hmm. Um, which, but it shows that he's not a one-dimensional character, right? Right. He's evolving, yeah. as you said. Mm-hmm. And the marshal kept up bringing, well, you're, were you going to do this in front of the kid? You yeah. Know, hey, there's a kid here. Do we want to do this violence here? And good so point. he's kind of up, appealing to the side of him. Yeah, good point, good point. That's exactly what I would say. Like, there's a kid here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe... We don't do this. Maybe you don't want to. Even if there isn't a kid. Yeah. Maybe you don't want to murder me in front of your son. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and then it worked to some degree. I mean, maybe not. I think initially he was like, nah, it doesn't matter. But then when he had a minute to think about it, he's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Deal. Yeah. So then the the crate dragon shows up. We don't really see it. We see kind of the fins. And it looks like a shark swimming through water as it goes through the sand. It seems like it. This part was interesting because it seems like it can go anywhere in the desert um, it wants to. Like, there's no rock. It's just yeah. sand, like dune, right? That's right. the impression I got. You weren't, if it was sand, it was like the water, basically. Yeah. It could go anywhere. Um, what do you guys think about that effect? It was cool. And, you know, and I appreciated this one because, you know, I think in episode four, there's a skeleton of a crate dragon, right? Right. And so it's cool, again, that they're, bringing these elements in and now we actually get to see one alive in the flesh and moving through the sand. And so that was great. Loved it. So do you think the one from episode four was a baby crate dragon or is this just like an unusually large dragon? Yeah. I wondered that because you know, the size differences and if there was one first of all, and then second of all, uh, you know, what, what were they? Um, Mm -hmm. because, and is the skeleton, is it, um, in proportion to the body? Because it seemed like the one in the episode four was small. Yeah, it was like a big snake. But maybe it was just so far in the distance. And of course, you know, I haven't seen episode four in a while, so maybe I don't remember. And was that was that an additional scene that was added on? No. Or was that on the original? Yeah, it's always been there. So, yeah, but it was smaller. So maybe it was a baby, or this one's just lived. Maybe as they live longer, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. But, What'd you think of it going through the town right down the middle yeah. of the street? I'm yeah, like, that's it was, convenient. It was at least, yeah, really considerate to the <laughs> yeah. town, you know. Yeah. And I kept thinking, like, as things were falling, but then it went right through and all the buildings were were still intact. Yeah, right. considerate uh, dragon. Yeah. You just, yeah. just wanted the bantha. Just yeah. wanted the bantha. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's a little deceiving how big they are. You, it's a, because it, you know in the end and we'll talk about it it looks mm-hmm. like it's way bigger yeah. than what it looked like when it was going yeah, through the, there, yeah. the going through the street mm-hmm. good points so then we're uh, we go back to um, Mando and Cobb Banth and they strike this deal hey I'll give you the armor if you help me with this problem and now of course 
it's not just any armor, right? Right. I mean, when we oh, yeah. good the, point. when we see it, we're like, that's a big reveal right there, yeah. right? That's Boba Fett. That's right there. Boba Fett's armor. He's lost a lot of weight, but that's Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you see the big, you know, dent in the helmet. There's no mistaking that's Boba Fett's armor. I I didn't think it was Boba Fett because, but I knew obviously from the moment he stepped into the door that that was Boba Fett's armor. Yeah. And we, you know, we think at this point that he's going to show up from one of the episodes in the first season. So mm-hmm. that was pretty exciting because yeah. you're like, okay, he's come. He's got to be coming. Yeah. He's just got to. Yeah. They wouldn't just show us the armor and the nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But then, of course, you're like, how did he get the armor? <laughs> yeah. All right, this is getting good. Yeah. That was great. Yep. So I initially thought it was Boba Fett for like a, maybe a second. But did then you? when he started talking, I was like, oh, God, that's not him. Yeah. Who is this guy? But, yeah, it was a, that was an awesome reveal. Um so they strike the deal. They're going to help each other out. And him and Mando, they ride off to go find where the crate Dragon is. Were they going to go take him out right then? Or <laughs> what were they doing? Yeah, I think they were on a recon mission. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think he was like, well, I'm going to show you where he lives. So okay. they jump on the speeder bikes and yeah. then they take off. Okay. Which, what did you think of Cobb Vance speeder bike? Yeah. The pod racing engine. Yeah. yeah. That was really cool. That was cool. Yeah. I really yeah. liked it. Yeah. Another nod, right, mm-hmm. to the uh, one of the, to the movies. Loved it. Yeah. So um, then, Matt, or Cobb Vance starts talking to Mando about his history, how he bought the armor off some Jawas, and he kind of relates his story. How they show a hologram of the Death Star two exploding. You know, so he's like, right after the Empire uh, fell, the the remnants kind of packed up and left that day, and. All of a sudden, the mining guild moved in, and yeah. they were just as bad. And so there's this big shootout, and Cobb Vanth escapes into the desert, gets picked up by some Jawas, and he trades for the armor, and that's how we... We're assuming that the Jawas got it from the Sarlacc pit or something, yeah. somehow, yeah. from around there. Well, I mean, you obviously, what I thought to myself is he's out. He must have gotten out, because yeah. they're not going into a Sarlacc yeah. to get him out. Right. So he got spit out somehow, or... Something happened, or he got digested, but the armor got spit out. Who knows? Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, that's just another another little, you know, indicator that you know he might still be alive. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But you know, you're like, there's no way. How could he be alive? Yeah. This is just going to be a little nice Easter egg, and maybe maybe Convath keeps the armor at the end of the episode, and he, and they team up. Who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So he kind of reveals the history. They meet up with some Tusken Raiders along the way. Uh, we see the the Tusken Raiders animals, the Massifs, and we saw those in episode two. So they're they're back, which was pretty cool. Um, then uh, they talk. You know, they spend the night talking and decide to team up, join each other to take down the Crate Dragon. The next day they go to the the lair, which I thought was really cool. Um, really cool setup in the sense that. They're like, oh, it's an old Sarlacc pit. Yeah. And they're like, well, how do you get rid of a Sarlacc? And he's like, well, you ate the Sarlacc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we know the, how powerful the Sarlacc is. So um, that even adds to the mystery even more um, of this dragon. And I thought the, the cave, the lair was interesting in that it was sideways. Yeah. Because usually we see the Sarlacc pit, it's like mm. in the ground this way. Maybe I was thinking maybe the pit is up at the top of the mountain and, mm. and, and the crate dragon burrowed in burrowed in and came up from underneath uh, or something like that i yeah, don't know but yeah, yeah. 
Definitely not a pit if it's a tunnel going right. sideways, right? Yeah. yeah, I was just wondering if that was a vertical sarlacc somehow. That would have been cool visual to that see. Would that would have been cool. Certainly yeah. possible. Yeah. But um, so they decide to come up with this plan, or they're going to, they lure. In this part, they have the, the Bantha and the Tuscan Raider go out to see if it's there, right? Oh, yeah. And then drag comes out and eats the guy. Yeah, why, yeah what, what the heck what was that? dragon, man. <laughs> I like how the camera pan back to the sand people, yeah. and they're just like, uh, oh, no. <laughs> we just sent Bob to his death. Yeah. <laughs> the band is just like, hey, The band just sits there. The rope that it's staked yeah. down to is gone, and it just sits there like, all right, yeah. guess I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. Poor sand people. What do you think about... Uh, the, we see it here. It evolves into the Tuscan Raiders and the the villagers teaming up. They yeah. don't have a good history. Uh, for you, Blake, how did this go down? Was it plausible, believable, unbelievable? I mean, yeah, it was it was fine. You know, it's a, a one hour episode, and and you can't really dig into all that too much. But they had a little bit of a, a quarrel there at one point, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, worked it out or whatever. But I guess when you've got a, a dragon that big, um, you know, I guess My terrorizing both enemy. of you, yeah. then I guess you, you can get together pretty quick. So, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Okay. I liked it. Um, it happened quick. Like, we've been mortal enemies for years. and Right. Hey, let's go, let's go join up and get this guy. Yeah. <laughs> they work together pretty well, but. Like you said, it's a one-hour episode. So. Yeah, <laughs> we don't really need to see all that. Um, the, yeah, they get all they armor up, get all the explosives and all that stuff, and head out to the the Sarla or the the old Sarlacc place, but the where the dragon lives. And I thought it was cool when they're headed there. The Tuscan Raiders were riding in single file. Oh yeah, there you <laughs> to go. hide their numbers. Another but, good, yeah. another good nod. Yeah, I also liked. Um, and earlier too, when Cobb Vanth escapes from the uh, the mining guild that comes in, mm-hmm. they show him pull out a Comtano yeah. for out of the speeder yeah. car. Yeah. I'm like, oh, there you go. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. another it's great good stuff in those, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, another great Easter egg. Yeah, I guess they're like the safes of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. obviously oh. though, they don't work very well because everyone's open. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just get a hold of one, you can open it right up. The, the code is universal. Yeah. One two, one, three. one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. so. All right. Uh, so they head back. They come up with a plan. I was hoping to see more of a, a montage here, but and they kind of had one where they set up their attack and planned it out and stuff, which is we've seen a hundred times in other movies and stuff. But yeah. I thought it was done well for, yeah. for what we saw. What did you think of their plan? Did it, was it plausible? I think like it would like that's gonna work he totally or were you like that doesn't make any sense there's no way that's gonna work yeah uh, I liked it in the sense that they draw them out as a diversion and then blow them up it's yeah. pretty simple and I'm like well that's that's cool but you know it's not gonna work yeah <laughs> nothing right. ever goes to nothing plan. ever goes yeah. according to plan but I thought it was plausible yeah 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 um what about for you, Blake, as far as the, the montage and the planning and drawing them out? So how, Where'd they get all those bombs? 
Yeah, I know, right? That's a pretty small town. They've got alcohol yeah. and bombs. That's <laughs> the two things. Well, they're a mining town, so maybe they. Oh mine. yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Mine explosives go. or something. I don't there know. you go. No, it it was cool. And then I think at one point when they add a bunch of different rocks and and the marshal says, "Oh, well, where are the, all those reinforcements coming from?" <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I think uh, I think Mandalorian said, it, "Well, I I, you know, I offered up the village or whatever. yeah." And uh, hey, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I, if, speaking of scale and proportion, they have that very discussion, don't they? They're mm-hmm. like, uh, that, that's way more bigger than, oh, who, yeah. who are the people? Oh, those are the rocks. <laughs> They're like, that doesn't seem right to me. No, it's in proportion. It's the scale. That's the scale. That's right. Yeah. We're yeah. going to need more people. <laughs> yeah, so that's the first hint we get that it's going to be huge. Yeah. And it was. So they draw it out, and first they use the, the harpoons to spear it and... <laughs> I thought it was funny how they're like, oh, we got him. There's like yeah. six Tusken Raiders. Like, oh, we got him now. And he just rips them out. It's like, I thought to myself, those are toothpicks against a yeah. giant, right? It's yeah. just, I don't know. How is that? How are those things going to hold them yeah. or do any, drag it out or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, this is the first sign that this plan is not going to go too well. Mm-hmm. But all they did, you know, they were bait. They just needed them out. Mm-hmm. And then what did you think when the, when the crate Dragon... Gets really mad and wanted, he spits out that acid. Oh, that was crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally unexpected. See that coming. Yeah, did not see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great because, you know, if you just had this monster going around chomping people, yeah, that's pretty terrifying. But that acid or whatever it was, yeah. the bile is like, whoa, that's next level. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just, run from that. Just melting people. Yeah. I wonder if they knew. I wonder if they had would have maybe had a different plan if they had known that it, yeah. you know, the crate could drag could do that because they were. There's a lot of people down there pretty close to it. Yeah. And when you see that, I think it's kind of a fallback. We're done. (laughs) Retreat. We tried. Let's move. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they knew about it because they were so, weren't prepared for that. No. They were just doing their thing. And then all of a sudden that happened. Uh, And they tried to blow it, but it didn't work. Yeah, the first time I, I was expecting to see some damage. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, yeah. its underside, yeah. maybe you know there'd be a wound or something. But it seemed like it did nothing. Yeah, yeah. at least they didn't show anything. It was a cool visual though, like with the the sand all just kind of, you know, shaking and and rising as it exploded. That was a cool visual. Yeah, yeah. And so then he escapes, goes up to the top of the mountain, spews more bile at him, disintegrates more people. And this is where Mando and Cobb Vanth are like, okay, we got to step in. They use their jetpacks. It was pretty sweet. Mm. Fly up there and they kind of distract it to allow the, the troops to reinforce and get reorganized, I guess. But then they head back and then it comes out them from behind, <laughs> from behind this time. Yeah. <laughs> like, Burrows right up through yeah. the mountain and comes out the top. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't know where he's coming from and they're just you know running for their lives basically but yep. they shooting it to no avail which I, you know i'm like okay you really yeah. we knew we pretty much know that you weren't going to cause any damage to it if, i think i think i'd still be shooting though, <laughs> if i'm them i, I mean yeah <laughs> at least aim for its eye or yeah. something <laughs> there you go yeah. find a weak spot yeah so the final plan i guess is the Bantha is still loaded up with even more explosives than what they initially used, yeah, which I so thought was like, like, why don't you put all that there in the first place? Right, yeah. <laughs> but the Bantha's loaded up, and so Mando's like, I got a plan. Bring him over here. And so we see uh, Cobb Vanth use the rocket to launch and um, distract you know, the 
the crate dragon. What'd you guys think about the the rocket firing Boba Fett? It was cool. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was cool how he kind of leans forward like the action figure did. Yeah. At least you know, it was supposed to anyway. I'm embarrassed to ask this question, but had prior to this scene, had we ever seen that rocket fire? No. Did we see it in Return of the Jedi or Empire? Nope. Uh, we didn't, right? Nope. We just assumed it was a rocket from because of the action figure, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. We did see it in uh, episode two with Jango Fett. He okay. used his mm-hmm. once, I think. That's right. Yep. Against Obi-Wan. That, when they were fighting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was good. It but was. We had did seen he lean forward like that as well? Like, no. When it happened this time, I thought. He That's was a design flaw. Now that you mention it, I do remember the scene now, and they're out fighting on the rain mm-hmm. out on the on the landing plane, uh, and uh, he's kind of crawling, or he kind of crawls around a pillar. Yeah, he's kind of sideways, and he does kind of turn his head a little bit. That's that's about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah this was different. So that was a pretty cool addition to that, um, based on the action figure, basically. Yeah. Um, so then the crate dragon comes after Mando, eats Mando and the Bantha, and we it's all quiet, like, oh, is he dead? Yeah. And but, he's got the detonator in his hand, right? Yeah. So there's a moment of silence and then he comes flying out and then he detonates the the bombs and destroys the crate dragon from the inside out. Yeah. So And when I noticed that when he flies out and his mouth is open inside in his throat you see all the blue electrical so he must have fired his his rifle mm-hmm. to cause it or not fired it but that rifle it can stun right yeah. also yeah. when if he touches something with it mm-hmm. so he must have stunned it or to get it to open its mouth so he could fly out yeah yeah because yeah, cool. so they obviously i saw that and they're like oh they must have thought of that because mm-hmm. to be like explain why it's op- would open its mouth so he, he could get out yeah it also reminded me of Empire when the Millennium Falcon's in that giant worm and, yeah. he, and the Millennium flies out. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that as too, as well. Yeah. So um, Kyle Banth gives up his armor, keeps his side of the deal, which, um, like like you said, I, th- I, was, I didn't think he would Yeah. initially, but he's a good man, I guess, so he gives it man up. Of his word. Yep. I'm like, wait a man, because he... Obviously, that armor gave him a lot of uh, a, a lot of courage because he went back and took out that whole mining guild without any problem. And you know the yeah. thing about that armor, it's not like it's covering a lot. You know, right. there, I definitely saw some gaps, yeah. some chinks in that armor. So I would be like, I think I don't know if I'd be as brave as he would be because I there's still some pretty big gaps in that um, mm-hmm. when he when he went when they showed that scene. But yeah, he gives it up, but. Maybe with the crate dragon gone, there's really no a lot of trouble left for him. Um, yeah, because the Tuscan Raiders are gonna have a pact with him. Yeah, yeah, they have that peace pact, and maybe he thinks that well, it's time for some peace. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I do like how we see with the Mandalorian armor, it does deflect bolts, laser bolts, as opposed to the stormtrooper armor that it's based off of, or that the the stormtroopers based off the the Mandalorian stuff, right? Uh huh. And their armor is crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They get hit once and they're dead. Basically. Yeah, we we've had that discussion. What's mm-hmm. the point of the stormtrooper yeah. armor? It doesn't seem to do anything, but mm-hmm. but maybe it does. Yeah, it's uh, not even against Ewok arrows, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Spears. Yeah, yeah, they. I think they need to rethink their uniform because yeah. yeah, there is some inconsistencies there. Because yeah. especially with how menacing 
they look in their armor, mm-hmm. they seem to uh, they seem to be a bunch of Keystone cops, yeah. so to speak, don't they? Well, the Empire got all that Beskar from the Mandalorians. Why don't they use it for their troops? At least like the the elite units, yeah. like the Death Troopers and these other ones. Nah, Stormtroopers are they're they're expendable. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. That's episode one, or episode, sorry, chapter nine of season two. Well, don't forget, yeah. we have the big Easter egg at the end. All right. Yeah, so what happens there? What did <laughs> you guys think of that? That so, reveal. I, and I, I rewatched this after watching it a couple of years ago, and I thought, how, I don't even, I didn't even remember that the first time. <laughs> and so, uh, but no, and, and then after, you know, of course, seeing the, the book of Boba Fett and, and everything, it's like, oh, man, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, all right, we Bubba Fett. We know he's coming back. We see him. Yeah, the big reveal, and yep. he sees that, and he see. You know, he's been following him and watching this entire time, and yeah. he's got his eye on that armor. Mm-hmm. Like, there it is. There it is. Yeah, yeah. and that armor is not going to be European cut <laughs> anymore. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, big and tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boba Fett needs to go to the shop at the Big and Tall yeah. <laughs> store. <laughs> so, yeah, I I was pretty excited to see that that part of it. Um, wasn't expecting it. I kind of heard rumors, but I didn't think it would be like episode the first episode of the season. Yeah, that we see him. So uh, it was good to see that and set that up. Um, yeah, great episode. Love the big reveal, you know, and the f- great cliffhanger. You know, at least at least partly where the season's going, and that is Boba Fett's going to be in it, and uh, and we're going to hear hopefully at least where what happened to him and how he survived. At least that's what you're hoping and expecting. Yeah, we don't ultimately get that, but but you but it has been something for. The fans have been craving for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we wanted to see him escape. Want to know what happened next? All that stuff. So, uh, we do see them harvest a pearl from mm. the crate dragon, and that's kind of been addressed. You know, what is what is the purpose of the pearl? That, I think that initially came about from all the novels back in the day, the legends novels. Um, in video games, we see uh, Revan from um, Knights of the Old Republic. He was involved with getting a one of the pearls, and so they've been around for a while. And I don't think we've seen any. This is the first representation of a pearl in the movies or shows or something. So, yeah. And they didn't really reveal what that means for the the people, you know, on Tatooine. Right. So. Um, I think they're valuable is what it looks like. Um, 100,000 credits for each pearl. So they're... This says here it could be used in a lightsaber if properly cleaned. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. That would be cool. Have a... A crate dragon, dragon lightsaber. Lightsaber, huh? <laughs> yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. So there's that. And then another thing about the crate dragon is when the... Episode four first debuted in theaters back in the day. You know, Obi-Wan, he used the crate dragon call to scare off the sand people. That's to right. Help Luke, right? And it's gone through different iterations. Like the move the first movie was just basically a yell, uh, like a modified yell that they did in post production. 
And then it kind of evolved over time. When the special editions came out, it changed. When the the movie was released on DVD, it changed. And then when it was released on Blu-ray, it changed a little bit. You know, these are just small additions and yeah. tweaks here and there. But the one we got here is consistent with what we've seen, I think, since the the DVD release. Yeah, more more closer to the original sound we heard, yeah. I think, is what you're saying. From the DVDs, yeah. Yeah. And so that's good that that's consistent. We, we heard it throughout the, the episode. And every time the dragon showed up, it would have that yell. Yeah. So I thought it was cool that, hey, you know, Obi-Wan mastered it and he used it to his advantage throughout time. So, um, any other Easter eggs or points, plot points that you guys liked and noticed as we were rewatching the show? Yeah, no, I can't think of any others. Okay. I think we yeah. covered a lot of them. But overall feel for me of this episode was it was classic Star Wars. It had that old Western feel. Back on Tatooine. Tatooine always brings those vibes back. Um, those Star Wars vibes and just the story, right? This quest that they got to go on and kill, slay the dragon. Literal, the literal dragon this time. Yeah, it was a great episode. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Definitely one of my, and my top favorite of the series so far. Yeah. And it sets up, like we said, Boba Fett looking for his armor. Cobb Vanth is still around in the series later on, or in this overall story later on at least. Um, Grogu, Baby Yoda, he was there. Yeah. Didn't really do much, right? Didn't see a lot of Grogu in this episode, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm okay with. Yeah. Do you think that's one of the reasons why it was a better episode? Because there's less having to worry about keeping Baby Yoda safe when all this crazy stuff is going on? or No, I mean, you know, episodes that have uh, more of Baby Yoda, Grogu uh, on the screen are just as good, you know. But uh, you know, they each need their they each need their um, screen time, their their day in the sun, or in this case, two suns, and yeah. and uh, <laughs> I I. I I, I was fine with it. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't think it was better because of it, but I was, um, I, I, I was fine with it. I like it both. Okay. Yeah, I feel he was more comedic elements. Like every once in a while, they'd pan to him when they're riding the speeders, and he's his ears are flapping in the wind, and he's smiling. Or, you yeah, know, you know, just stuff like that, which is yeah. good. And I think next episode it's more, more uh, Baby Yoda stuff. I think he's causing problems and stuff. And obviously, the season is about getting Baby Yoda the right to the right place. So, but okay, uh, as far as overall thoughts, rankings uh, for me, I would rank this as one of the the better episodes in the series episodes or season one and season two. I'd give it a nine out of ten, and just though, like I said, the overall elements, the overall story, um, felt very Star Warsian to me. Yeah, great. So I don't know for you guys, what do you, how do you rank this one? Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I kind of liked, uh, um, it, it was just a, a simple Western type of story. I liked the, the interactions and, you know, I, I liked the Marshall and, and just, you know, and I like Timothy Oliphant as an actor. He's pretty fun to watch yeah, and charismatic and everything. So yeah, it was, it, it was one of the top ones for me too. It, it, it seemed like it was tight, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and everything kind of had a purpose and, and was going somewhere. And a, a lot of a lot of pieces along the way that were parts of the story. And, and so, yeah, I, I liked it a lot, too. Yep. 
like I said, are already great episode. Really enjoyed it. Uh, loved all the tie-ins and loved all the Easter eggs and uh, the whole old Western feel. And I, you know, I love the theme music. You know, ties it all together. Great, great episode. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks guys for watching and listening to the Credible Nerds podcast as we re-review Mandalorian season two in preparation for season three coming out in a couple months. I definitely like our our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel to get further notifications uh, about for future episodes. We appreciate you watching and listening, and we value your your time that you spent listening and watching. And we know it's important, and we're glad that you've decided to spend some time with us. And as we talk Star Wars, so uh, like I said, subscribe to the podcast. Comment if what you think about this episode is it good? Do you give it a nine or six or you know what's your ranking on this? What are some things that you liked about? Did you like the introduction of Cobb Vanth? The whole armor plot point, crate dragon. Let us know in the comments and we'll respond and talk about it. So again, thanks for listening, guys, and we will catch you next time. So may the force be with you. Have a good one. Thanks.